oh man, it was just like one of those like life-altering experiences. I mean, I, I could never really look at the world the same way again after that. Yeah, but I mean, like, how did you, how did you finally get out of the dream? See, that's my problem. I'm, I'm like, I'm trapped. I keep, I keep thinking that I'm waking up, but I'm still in a dream. It seems like it's going on forever. I can't get out of it, and I want to wake up for real. How do you really wake up? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not very good at that anymore. But um, if that's what you're thinking, I mean, you, you probably should. I mean, you know, if you can wake up, you should. Because, you know, someday, you know, you won't be able to. So just, um, but it's easy. You know, just, just wake up. Welcome to the Waking Life Podcast. My name is Cody Wilcox, and I will be your guide on this audible odyssey. First and foremost, I would like to thank you for allowing me the chance to consciously direct your thoughts so that I might help you along on your sojourn of self. Because truly, I believe that we are here to understand ourselves more deeply and to become more in tune with nature in the same sense that nature is ever flowing and bountiful and abundant. And nature has a deeply symbiotic relationship with everything around it that includes us. If we are conscious of our emotions, thought and our actions and align them more with nature, then we can have a truly beautiful life and I've been doing this. I've seen other people been doing this. I want to share with you how we can all do this together. And we don't have to worry about the travails of life that we currently witness. And that's surely not to say that we can just ignore the ills of society that are all around us. We need to deeply understand the causal factors of what is going on. I'm going to help you along the way by showing you the information that has brought me to a better understanding. Just as a little brief overview of the things that I want to cover on the podcast, I want to help everyone listening have a better quality of life. And I truly believe the way we do that is to understand information more deeply and to how we can see where that relates to our lives personally and what we can do to implement these concepts into our lives. I feel that a real understanding of what natural law is, of who you really are, of what consciousness is, along with tools for self-mastery, such as the trivium, nonviolent communication, getting things done, and theodelics, voluntarism. There's just so many things that I'm going to cover that hopefully will get you interested in enough that you'll dig deeper than what I just provide here. I'm going to be showing you hundreds of people that I listen to and I have listened to and the information that I've been able to try to absorb into my life that has provided me a good foundation to truly live a life that benefits myself and the people around me and hopefully you now that I'm sharing this information with you. This podcast doesn't really have a fixed format and it's going to be very free-flowing in the same sense of a river where it's going to twist and turn and you never know what's going to be around the corner. Perhaps it's going to be a song, maybe a radio interview, a lecture, a piece that I've written, maybe me reading you a passage I think you should hear. I promise you that it is all information that I have curated with you in mind. I'm going to be employing various other acoustical tactics to help us assimilate all of this amazing information. First, I'm going to be converting the audio to 432 hertz. If you aren't familiar with this, then let me read something for you. 432 hertz 
is an alternative tuning that is mathematically consistent with the universe. Music based on 432 Hz transmits beneficial healing energy because it's a pure tone of math fundamental to nature. I purchased a few products from iAwake Technologies that I will also be using along with the podcast. Make sure to check out their website for a better breakdown, but to give you a little cursory information, they use various frequencies to help your brain achieve different states, whether it's alpha, beta, delta, theta, or gamma. Finally, I implore all of you to go to the podcast's website at www.wakinglife.co. There you will be able to find out more information on all the content presented on this podcast. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I just want to thank you all so much. And here we go. going to be up front with you. Life as we've come to know it through culture, media, schooling, and other innumerable influences on our perception of reality is but a mere facade, an illusory construct designed to keep us from exploring our consciousness and knowing who we truly are. Beyond any conspiratorial notions, think of it like this. If one is tricked into believing they have no power within themselves, then they must seek that power from an outside source. I'm here to remind you that you are an infinite being. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. Most everyone is familiar with the illusion of going down the rabbit hole from Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. But let me tell you, after over a decade of spelunkering through the rabbit hole and a myriad of rabbit holes within the rabbit hole, it is confusing as fuck. You can devote years to learning about a topic to eventually find out it's just a dead end, or that you've been misled like thousands before you into another indoctrination system, or what have you. My intent with this podcast is to provide a proverbial breadcrumb trail down the rabbit hole for all of you that are yearning for a deeper understanding but don't know the credible sources to rely on. By no means am I your guru or spiritual teacher, and I make no claims to have the ultimate understanding of the universe. I am simply your friend who spent tens of thousands of hours researching, trying to get a better grasp of reality and my role in it. And that's why I've made this podcast to be able to push my consciousness outward in hopes that you will be able to find that you are not alone and you have someone out there who deeply cares about you and wants to see you in a better place. There is a way out of this mess, just can't think the way out of it. Thought is your enemy. I know, I know, I I, I, I gotta think less. I had a thought actually. You have to let go. Let go. Think about it. What if you done for you like I have trouble following the 
into this river without knowing how to swim And eventually we learn how to keep the water under our chins Sometimes this river's so cold to be in Freezing my soul, solidifying my skin Regardless of how far I see, I never see my travels in We're carried by the current, being driven by the wind The scenery we pass will never see again So we store it up as memories and don't let go of them We're under a spell, thinking that the river should go straight We set goals and desire to control our own fate But all the pain we experience is a result of our expectations Cause it's the river's nature to twist and turn The shit can burn, and I know it I have the same conflict, but I try to sit and flow with this river's natural process. Sometimes when I watch myself flow downstream, I see the beauty of it all, and it feels like a dream. And at that time, I appreciate the river's course. Some call it God, reality, momentum, force. I stare up at the naked moon as she stares down at me. Outside thoughts, boundaries, I'm all I look outward to see. The universe is not something separate from yourself. I know you feel alone, but that's why I'm here to help. I know you feel alone, but just look up at the stars And everything that is out there is what you really are We gotta learn to see the beauty in each moment of life Everyone has different paths and we're seeking the light The world is divided between peasants and kings But the truth is everybody's looking for the same thing Now I want you to know the role you play's part of the whole Without you it couldn't be, and I mean that with compassion So if you ever need anything, I mean anything at all I'm here for you all you gotta do is ask, man I'm here for you In the same way that you hear from me Each person is an intricate piece of infinity I feel like if you could see what I see Then we as humanity could be free I'm here for you Not for any self-centered reasons Because existence is interdependent And all's related, connected It's different manifestations of one single mind You ain't isolated from the world Even though it feels like that sometimes I see the hurt when I look into your eyes How you struggle to hold it And keep it bundled inside It drives a dull blade deep in my heart It makes me wanna cry So I offer you a hand to help you wash away the rainy skies I'm running out of words But I haven't yet made my message clear So if none of this makes sense I just want you to know I'm here As a musician, as a friend, as a teacher, as a student To grow and realize that everything's in constant movement Each problem that we face is just a part of this movement It seems hopeless, but if we stick together we'll get through it And return to the essence from which we've been uprooted And wake humanity from these illusions The second you can look into the sky and see your own reflection You know you're headed in the right direction The river ride ain't always smooth, but with it I live Everything is perfect just the way it is We gotta learn to see the beauty in each moment of life Everyone has different paths and we're seeking the light The world is divided between peasants and kings But the truth is everybody's looking for the same thing Now I want you to know the role you play's part of the whole Without you it couldn't be, and I mean that with compassion So if you ever need anything, I mean anything at all I'm here for you, all you gotta do is ask, man all you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is man I'm here for me All you got is all you got is
a book that I posted with last week's podcast called The Stellar Man. The Stellar Man by John Baines. And I'd like to read a quote about the initiation into the mystery traditions that uh, John Baines writes in the book The Stellar Man. So I'm going to take most of this segment to do that. This is called A Message from Isis. As we talked about last week, Isis is the goddess of higher consciousness, of love, of natural law, of the sacred feminine. Wisdom, in other words. Wisdom, meaning actually acting upon knowledge when it is right, when it is moral, when it is in keeping with natural law. Okay? So, this is called a message from Isis. I, Isis, mistress of the mysteries of nature, speak to you. You, novice, who seeks to go through the gates of initiation, and you, layman, who will read with idle curiosity, calm your spirit, clear your mind, calm your emotions, get away from worldly noises, and look for shelter under the mantle of your own self, so you may cross the threshold that leads to the abode of the magicians with no danger." Cast away your prejudices. Shed your egotism. Flee from personalism and rashness for an instant. Analyze with serene eyes. Do not fear aught but yourself. Do not doubt but that which you analyze superficially. Do not deny before meditating. Separate yourself from the multitude that obscures your ideas. Be yourself and think for yourself. Do not limit yourself. You, seeker of wonder, you, candidate for initiation, do not look into the distance. Gather all your energy within yourself. Forget about India and Tibet. Do not cry out for God, Allah, or Jesus. What you look for is right where you are at this moment. Yes, stop looking toward the outside and bury your sight deeply within yourself. Tune your perceptions, sharpen your senses, and there in the center of your being are you, your I, your real essence, the truth behind lies the immortal energy that gives life to the clay that is you. Look with devotion and reverence, because there is light, and the light that blinds you is God. Listen to how it decrees, I am the road and the life. But beware, you cannot contemplate God face to face without dying. Are you willing to continue? I can grant you a great gift. I offer you death. Do not tremble. This death is the gift of the immortals. It is the gift of the phoenix that is gloriously reborn from its own ashes. To be, one must not be. To be born and to be, one must first die. If you achieve this, you will be called the twice-born. Do not scorn my offer. Consider it carefully. 
It is better to die now than to live awaiting death. Do not believe that if you reject me, you will be able to continue your path unharmed. On the contrary, all paths lead to me. Ignore me and you will be like an orphan who does not know its parents. You only have two paths. Either I devour you or you unite with me. Yours and only yours is the choice. If you decide to be devoured, fully dedicate your life to enjoyment. Drink the last drop from the cup of pleasure. Close your mind to the voice of your spirit. Abandon yourself to the beast and enjoy the sensual pleasures of matter. Thus, when you are least aware, the moment of final cannibalism will arrive. Do you really believe that I will take pity on you? You deceive yourself. I have no feelings. I am beyond pleasure and pain, beyond right and wrong. I am like the sun that rises in the morning to light everything equally. After your death, you will become only remains and a relic. Afterwards, not even that. If you desire to marry me, you must be ready to suffer the death of initiation. You must pass the trials the terrible sphinx will send you without mercy in order to judge your spiritual courage and the quality of your nature. I surrender myself only to he who has reached the stage of crucifixion, resisting the attacks of the four elements. I love only those who have drunk from the cup of bitterness, of betrayal, of ridicule and mockery, of persecutions, of slander, and of defamation. I love the initiates who have persisted with courage, suffering the loneliness of the spirit in the midst of a world of animals. You come to me after experiencing slander and defamation, which are the specific trials of the element of air. After blows and persecution, the trials of the element of earth. After sensual temptation and vices, which are the trials of the element of water. And after dominating uncontrolled ambitions, which are the trials of fire. This quaternary corresponds to each of the ends of the cross to which one who came to me was nailed, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, others even greater have lived and live in secret. No one knows of their existence because it is better for their work. Do not believe that in the world there exists only the once-born and the twice-born. Unfortunately, the once-and-a-half-born and the aborted ones also exist. Beware not to be taken in by their con- con- convincing lies and Machiavellian language. These beings live neither in this world nor the next. They are neither initiates nor laymen, but imitators of masters, semi-sages, sowers with unclean hands, the followers of dead scrolls and black magicians who covet me and boast of my love when they are not even worthy of my smile. Some may wear saris or tunics, others collars and aprons, others the Rosicrucian attire. Some proclaim themselves the only possessors of the truth, believing that they actually possess this monopoly. All of them claim my friendship. 
but are only beggars who plead to me for crumbs of wisdom. You do not achieve second birth by standing on your head or meditating, nor in the coffin of purely symbolic ceremonies, nor by good works or the grace of the Holy Spirit. If you disdain me, receive my blessings, and continue on your road destined to be food for the gods. I will pause right there. We'll pick this up on the other side. There's two paragraphs remaining. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening, folks. Don't go anywhere. We're back, folks. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We are beginning a look at the general principles of natural law here on the show today. And I was reading a quote, a few paragraphs from the book called The Stellar Man. The Stellar Man, S-T-E-L-L-A-R as in of the stars, okay? The Stellar Man by John Baines. It's actually posted to my website as a PDF document on podcast number 73 on the podcast page of whatonearthishappening.com. We were reading a quote, we were reading a uh, segment from uh, part of his book, The Stellar Man, called A Message from Isis, Isis, of course, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of natural law, okay, the goddess of love energy. So we were talking about um, that she was ta- talking about that there are false teachers out there, black magicians, who want this knowledge for themselves, who come to it f- for, for egoic purposes, not to really truly teach humanity how to come up in consciousness and better themselves and create a world filled with more freedom, not more enslavement, okay? So there's two paragraphs left. I'm going to go back to this reading, and then we'll jump in uh, to a couple of phone calls. So here we go, continuing with a message from Isis. She says, If you disdain me, receive my blessings and continue on your road, destined to be food for the gods. Not all can be men. Some can only be animals or worse, vegetables. If you come to me through curiosity, think twice. It is easy to be rash with what one does not know. If you are not brave enough, turn back. Shield yourself with your vanity and your pride. Content yourself to look down at the ground like your kin. If you are not prepared, do not aspire to see my face. Unfortunate is he who, possessed by animal greed or misguided curiosity, contemplates only my reflection, as he will never forget me and will die tormented by the desire to possess me. If you are prepared, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, if your intention is pure and noble, proceed without discouragement and know that from the moment ye cross the threshold of the occult abode, I will be anxiously awaiting you like the young bride for her first love. Seek 
and you will find. Do not pray to the gods. Fight for me. That is extraordinarily powerful, ladies and gentlemen. A message from the goddess. And I believe that's almost like a channeled message from the deepest subconscious recesses of the sacred feminine force itself that Mr. Haynes there was almost a channeling through automatic writing. That's what I believe that came from. That came from a place beyond the brain, even beyond the heart of a human being. That came from the deep recesses of nature herself, which that individual had to somehow get in touch with to bring something like that forward. That's natural law speaking its message to us and beseeching us. Don't continue to go down the road you're on. It leads nowhere. It leads to destruction. Their energy propagates to us today from the past, carrying with it a tether of feelings still relevant today. Indeed, energy and its path is a lifelong study. But if you can find and follow the energy, there is no limit to your exploration here in this life, nor in its death. Because energy is all that can be imagined, felt, remembered, and forgotten. We are all made up of the same stuff. We're particles of stars, coalescing in a common environment so as to interact with each other. Life is the process of coming to know thyself. That's why the Oracle in the Matrix has a plaque above the symbolic doorway which reads, Temet Noske, Know Thyself. Because that is the only knowledge which can ever make you free. Well, that's, that's kind of deep, but, but that's where we are. We're here inside this Trojan horse of truth trying to roll our way through the walls of the Matrix, which is, of course, the world created by Edward Bernays and his public relations corporate nightmare. But I only mention that so that you'll enjoy it when we break down the wicked paradigms crafted from the illusions used to control the minds of billions. There's a BBC documentary on Google Video titled The Century of the Self. What I've just given you above is a little energy. With the right mix of information around it, this information can form excitement. And that is the genesis of energy, hot and cold. It's all about excitement of people, places, things, particles, ideas. Excitement and attention have effects which most people could not even begin to ponder without first being given a little spark. And while Prometheus might have stolen fire from the gods, I don't think it ever made it out there to the people. Proverbially speaking, that is. Aeschylus, who wrote about Prometheus, never got to finish the story. And I always thought it'd be kind of cool to pick up where he left off and propagate the idea of Prometheus Unbound. Today's tour is about energy. In case you haven't guessed, energy comes in many forms. Fire, earth, wind, water, and love, the fifth element. Now, I've had this topic in mind for many years, and in fact, you might even say that my being here today started with my search for the genesis of energy and how to practically apply its properties. I thought of energy as electronic motion or emotion. And when you think about emotion, you should characterize the energy that accompanies it. In this world, most people seem to be polarized against pain and attracted to pleasure. But you need one to appreciate the other. 
So there's the beginning with you right in the middle. Where do you want to go from here? That's desire. It's a type of energy too. But it all falls under the law of attraction, which is an idea that's been around much longer than the secret. That's just the latest wave of marketing. The law of attraction goes back thousands of years. I happened to stumble upon it through Wayne Dyer, who has done much of the legwork to get it to where it stands today. For me, January 15th is a symbolic date. True, it was the date when I was separated unwillingly from my last two terms of employment, but I try to trim off the negative and stick with the positive. As the result of those two not-so-good days, we have the positive side of the equation. Today. Because it's not about the bad things that happened. It's about what we do with them. For instance, it's about what I did when the world served me lemons. I made some lemonade, which I'm in turn going to share with you. You see, it started when I realized that I really didn't know squat about anything. Because I had faithfully believed everything as it was served up to me. Through education. Through television. If the news reporters or the trusted person telling me the news was speaking logically, I accepted it as truth. I had no reason not to trust. But then my experience led me to realize that there was more to the story than I had been taught. And even though I paid for a full education, I was now feeling a little short-handed. So I decided to give my idea of history a little squeeze and see where collecting the little droplets of truth could get me. If you look at the result as the fruit of our labor, then what we have is a piece of fruit with a seed. Interestingly enough, both the fruit and the seed are consumable, it's healthy, and it's perfectly preserved in the mind of each person that takes a taste. I called this idea Lisa's Lemonade. I mean, in context of the consequences of losing my employment for doing what I thought was right, and the conflict of interest of those who were employing me, I guess you could say that I was searching to discover what my contribution to the world would actually be if I didn't work in a corporate environment. And ironically enough, my original idea was just a unique and until then unobserved perspective on one of the most common symbols of the Western world. The famous Einstein equation, E equals MC squared, which of my own discovery has a very curious characteristic, which was hidden by clever old Albert, right in front of your nose, Orwellian style. Now, you might not grasp this at first, and that doesn't matter. What matters is that you just open your mind, listen, and think about it. Because knowing thyself and hearing these next few minutes of audio code could make all the difference in the world. Thanks to Einstein's infamous meme. And the synchronicity of the Graalian symbolism of his name, One Cup, a metaphorical grail that was his life's work, to be consumed by all and abused by no one, for abuse of this postulate would be to abuse yourself, and that is the irony of life. That famous equation started me thinking about the speed of light, and it occurred to me that C, celeritas, or the speed of light as it's represented, was not only not a constant, but not the boundary limiting speed upon which everything was based. And I surmised that the speed of thought exceeded the speed of light and that nothing could surpass the speed of thought, except thought itself. And for me, this is where it started to get interesting. You see, and, and I realize that for a few of you, this is way too much talking right now, but bear with me. The Einstein equation E equals MC squared is a cleverly presented illusion 
in much the same vein as what da Vinci did. And when I said, you see, that was a pun, because this is all about how they use the lighting. And given that light is currently used to send signals, and thereby transmitting information in real time moving forward, you might consider the practical applications of this following observation, because it is applicable to each and every one of you. Now, before I disassemble the atomic bomb in a matter of speaking, I'd like to reference some pop culture so that we're all on the same page. Remember that film War Games with Matthew Broderick? Most people have seen it, and I wanted to point out some little-known symbolism. Symbolism that possibly went unrealized even to the people who put together the film. The man who created the artificial intelligence system, known in the film as Stephen Falcon, created a computer entity named after his deceased son, Joshua. Falcon was a man who sacrificed his son during his dedicated life's work to creating artificial savior for society. Joshua is a contemporary form of the name Yeshua, or Jesus. So while the government was trying to play God, Stephen Falcon, the creator of the system, was symbolizing God himself. Think about his conversation about the creation and evolution of the world and his pessimism as a result of having made a regretful sacrifice. And think of the game that was being played with the world powers. And what was Falcon looking for? Again, symbolizing God. He was looking for a couple of people representing love. The single reason he would allow his creation to survive. So, from a creator's perspective, War Games provides a lot more than entertainment. It provides some powerful symbolism. So with that, let's look at some other pop culture symbolism that you may have looked at thousands of times without really thinking about it. And indeed, that was the intent of the creator, for humanity was not ready for this epiphany a hundred years ago, though a few people in power have used it against all of us, time and time again. But that history is for a future episode. I gotta give you a quick math problem, and I know it's a pop quiz, but it's only one question, so here it is. What is the square root of four? Most people would reactively state two, and they're right, but they're only half right. There's actually a second part to the answer, which would be positive or negative two, as negative two squared is also four. This is where I had my epiphany. And I have yet to have a scholar to whom I've presented this next observation to be anything less than speechless, because it shows you an infinite side of life which has been here all the time. Pun intended. Here's my contribution to the world on behalf of everyone who ever thought enough of me to give me a little benefit of the doubt. I endow to all of you listening the other side of Einstein's famous equation and with it, it is my dream that humanity will use it to emerge from their dark side of the moon. Here it is. If E equals MC squared, then C equals the square root of E over M, parenthetically. But C also equals the negative square root of E divided by M, parenthetically. Therefore, C can be a negative number, indicating that light can travel backwards in time. 
So hold that thought and dig this. The Greek letter phi, P-H-I, represents the orientation in space, and the Greek letter psi, P-S-I, represents the idea of time, which, being only an idea in the minds of humans, is the imaginal realm itself. Fred Allen Wolf's star wave, referenced in episode 6, was based on the psi wave and its complex conjugate, represented by psi star, or the star wave. So what I'm proposing is that there is an interaction between time and space, or in terms as I've heretofore defined, psi-phi. This is what I call the psi-phi postulate. And it accounts for our perception of life, both real and imaginary, waking and sleeping. And indeed not only explains a lot of anomalous behavior until now, filed as noise or coincidence, but it also opens doors and is a gateway toward living an eternal life because traveling at the speed of thought, you're exploring the eighth estate, the state of divinity that is the state of infinity. This property, albeit hidden until now from the public mind, provides the potential to send information into the past. And it's already accepted around the world because E equals MC square indicates this already. Einstein just thought that it would be a little too dangerous to the world, being that the military used his ideas to create destructive energy. So he hid the secret of editing time in a place where it was only accessible to someone looking through the eyes of creativity and attracting something which would benefit all those who have a free mind to use it. Because for chrono displacement to take place, you basically just need a quantum device loaded with the code i.e. understanding, and to have that same device separated through time in at least two points. In other words, you need a brain, the concept of how this is possible, which I just provided, and an understanding that the future version of your brain has been sending you messages which you have probably been interpreting as noise, unless you're psychic and picked up on this on your own. You see, there is a scientific answer for everything but all answers are not included in science. And, you see, our minds are not where the thinking is done. Our minds simply receive the signal from our source, which in everyday terms is you. It's just the you which has already traveled a little further ahead down your road of life, and it's reporting back to make your journey more enjoyable. So just as a quick example, this explains why you sometimes encounter these wavelets sort of like a radar return signal echoing from your future sense of self to your present sense of self. Those times when it occurs to you to do something like check the air in the tires because it might be due to the fact that 45 minutes from now you blew a tire going 80 miles an hour and you're experiencing severe trauma. Einstein's equation dictates that it's not only possible but plausible that traumatic events are not only felt in the past and present but that future events can be felt in the present. And of course, George Lucas, coming from the Latin lux, or light, was fond of symbolism like Luke Skywalker or light shaman. These are all concepts of taking energy and allowing it to flow through you in accord with your wants and desires. It's how Ben Kenobi felt the destruction of Alderaan, indeed. Star Wars was a great meme, a teaching tool which embedded 
educated and entertained generations of young and old alike with ideas that would have been paired with the death penalty during the days of the Inquisition. So that being heard, I'll also admit that capturing the concept of energy and trying to produce an audio expression of this multi-dimensional concept has been a little more than challenging, but challenging is what we eat for breakfast here. So let me explain what I've whipped up for you this week. I've got several threads of thought in relation to energy and its many forms and manifestations. You have atomic energy, potential energy, psychic energy, sexual energy, generational energy, demolition energy, creation energy, negative energy, its counterpart, positive energy, just to name a few. let me off at this like, really specific spot that you gave him directions to let me off at. I get out, ended up getting hit by a car, but then I just woke up because I was dreaming, and later than that I found out that I was still dreaming, dreaming that I'd woken up. Oh yeah, those are called false awakenings. I used to have those all the time. Yeah, but I'm still in it now. I, I can't get out of it. It's been going on forever. I keep waking up, but, but I'm just waking up into another dream. I'm starting to get creeped out, too, like, I'm talking to dead people, this woman on TVs telling me about how death is this dream time that exists outside of life. I mean, I'm starting to think that I'm dead. I'm going to tell you about a dream I once had. I know that's, you know, when someone says that, that's usually you're in for a very boring next few minutes. And you might be, but it sounds like, you know, what else are you going to do, right? Anyway. I read this essay by Philip K. Dick. What, you read it in your dream? No, no, I read it before the dream. It was the preamble to the dream. It was about that book, um, Flow My Tears, The Policeman Said. Do you know that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he won an award for that one. Right, right, that's the one he wrote really fast. It just, like, flowed right out of him. He felt he was sort of channeling it or something. But anyway, about four years after it was published, he was at this party, and he met this woman who had the same name as the woman character in the book. And she had a boyfriend with the same name as the boyfriend character in the book. And she was having an affair with this guy, you know, the chief of police. And he had the same name as the chief of police in his book. So she's telling him every, you know, all this stuff from her life and everything she's saying is right out of his book. So that's really freaking him out, but you know, what can he do? And then shortly after that, he was going to mail a letter and he saw this kind of um, you know, dangerous, shady looking guy standing by his car. But instead of avoiding him, which he, you know, he said he usually would have done, he just walked right up to him and said, can I help you? And the guy said, yeah, I, I ran out of gas. So he pulls out his wallet and he hands him some money, which he says he you know, never would have done. And then he gets home and he thinks, well, wait a second. This guy, you know, he can't get to a gas station. He's out of gas. So he gets back in his car. He goes, finds the guy, takes him to the gas station. And as he's pulling up at the gas station, he realizes, hey, this is in my book too. This exact station, this exact guy, everything. So this whole episode is, is kind of creepy, right? And he's telling his priest about it, you know, describing how he wrote this book, and then four years later, all these things happened to him. And as he's telling it to him, the priest says, that's the book of Acts. You're describing the book of Acts. And he's like, I've never read the book of Acts. So he, you know, goes home and reads the book of Acts, and it's like, you know, uncanny. You know, even the characters' names are the same as in the Bible. And the book of Acts takes place in 50 AD when it was written, supposedly. So Philip K. Dick had this theory that time was an illusion and that we were all actually in 50 AD 
And the reason he had written this book was that he had somehow momentarily punctured through this illusion, this veil of time, and what he had seen there was what was going on in the book of Acts. And he was really into uh, Gnosticism and this idea that this demiurge or demon had created this illusion of time to make us forget, you know, that Christ was about to return and the kingdom of God was about to arrive. And that we're all in 50 AD and there's someone trying to make us forget, you know, that, you know, God is imminent. And that's what time is. That's what all of history is. It's just kind of this continuous, um, you know, daydream or distraction. And so I read that and I was like, well, that's weird. And then that night I had a dream and there was this guy in the dream who was supposed to be a psychic, but I was skeptical. I was like, yeah, he's not really a psychic. And I'm just thinking to myself. And then suddenly I start floating, like levitating up to the ceiling. And as I almost go through the roof, I'm like, okay, Mr. Psychic, I, I believe you. You're a psychic. Put me down, please. And I float down and as my feet touch the ground, the psychic turns into this woman in a green dress. And this woman is Lady Gregory. Now, Lady Gregory was Yeats's patron, this you know Irish person. And though I'd, I'd never seen her image, I was just sure that this was the face of Lady Gregory. So we're walking along, and Lady Gregory turns to me and says, let me explain to you the nature of the universe. Now, Philip K. Dick is right about time, but he's wrong that it's 50 AD. Actually, there's only one instant, and it's right now, and it's eternity. And it's an instant in which God is posing a question. And that question is basically, do you want to, you know, be one with eternity? Do you want to be in heaven? And we're all saying, no, thank you. Not just yet. And so time is actually just this constant saying no to God's invitation. I mean, that's what time is. I mean, and it's no more 50 AD than it's 2001. You know, I mean, there's just this one instant and that's what we're always in. And then she tells me that actually this is the narrative of everyone's life. That, you know, behind the phenomenal difference, there is but one story. And that's the story of moving from the no to the yes. All of life is like, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. And then ultimately it's, yes, I give in. Yes, I accept. Yes, I embrace. I mean, that's the journey. I mean, everyone gets to the yes in the end, right? Right. So we continue walking. And uh, my dog runs over to me, and so I'm petting him, really happy to see him. You know, he's been dead for years. So I'm, I'm petting him, and I, and I realize there's this kind of gross, oozing stuff coming out of his stomach. And I look over at um, Lady Gregory, and she sort of coughs. She's like, <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> and there's vomit, like, dribbling down her chin, and it smells really bad. And I, I think, well, wait a second. That's not just the smell of vomit, which is, you know, doesn't smell very good. That's the smell of, like, dead person vomit. You know, so it's like doubly foul. And then I realized I'm actually in you know, the land of the dead. And everyone around me was dead. My dog had been dead over 10 years. Lady Gregory had been dead a lot longer than that. When I finally woke up, I was like, whoa, that wasn't a dream. That was a visitation to this real place, the land of the dead. So what happened? I mean, how did you finally get out of it? Oh, man, it was just like one of those, like, life-altering experiences. I mean, I, I could never really look at the world the same way again after that. Yeah, but I mean, like, how did you, how did you finally get out of the dream? See, that's my problem. I'm, I'm like, I'm trapped. I keep, I keep thinking that I'm waking up, but I'm still in a dream. It seems like it's going on forever. I can't get out of it, and I want to wake up for real. How do you really wake up? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not very good at that anymore. But um, if that's what you're thinking, I mean, you, you probably should. I mean, you know, if you can wake up, you should. 
because you know someday you know you won't be able to. So just, um, but it's easy. You know, just, just wake up. The womb, yeah, scientifically referred to as the womb man's uterus, Bada. or the place that your current human experience initiated its first nine months of three-dimensional development. Smoke. Some say your spirit or your light transmits into your brain's pineal gland in the thirteenth week of gestation. Yeah. Thirteen being the highest of the sephirah. The beginning and the end of the cycle. This is not your first time here. Never die. Can you see now? Never die. Can you see now? Welcome back to the world. With the dad and the mom First all the stars in the sky are aligned The light from the sun and the moon are combined The dick is the paintbrush The pussy's the canvas, we paint stuff Let the brush stroke, let the paint bust Illustrate us The plagiarist change and deface us Then replace us It's funny how that can erase us Take the color out, now we all white This is racist Do they hate us? I'm a sculpture made out of space dust That was molded same way that clay does Painted triple dark with the same stuff That creates love Vaginas are portals from spirit to physical Collective conscious individualizes the act of having sex is rhythmical Like the heart that's beating in the interview With the gift of the genitals, humans are God when he's visible There is no limits when mystical Everyone you know is really you I am simply just a seed This room is really just a womb Incubating as I self-create like a black rose when it blooms So much nigger in my DNA that my cum is black I could drip a tiny drop of semen in the desert sand and bring a jungle back Who could fuck with I'm that? stuck in this womb, trying to find my way out But I don't have a clue in the midst of this woman For nine months of darkness, till I finally break through Now I'm stuck in this room, trying to find my way back Back inside of that womb, in the midst of this woman my life is of darkness till I finally break through. What if earth is heaven? We just made it hell. What if there's no God? We create ourselves. What if life is really death and death is birth? Time is infinite. What's a second worth? What if singing is the language of the soul? What if speaking is the language of the mind? What if rap is really both of those combined? And this is the Bible if it rhymes. You would think that my umbilical cord was a long bong. Cause even as a fetus, I was chief and we that mom's on. She must have conceived me the 1987 pop songs The memories of being in my mother's womb are not gone The birds and the bees Earth and the seas Dirt in the trees Inserted between Swerving she screams Sperms in her deep To come has gotta be the greatest release of energy a human could have But to overdo it could reduce it to trash When the boo you do it with ain't doing it back Stick a hard drive in a pussy, I mean PC And upload data, I mean no daddy, I mean no Trojan Let her pro-sex or I'ma go faster, I'm a cold fella Cause I'm binary and I'm virus free When I open my window, reload the sun All I see is green rain and O's and ones, I'm a Mac See, I'm about dollars like shift four I'm a raised font and control piece So I print more till it hits floor These are space bars 
Command with option to escape, y'all. Magnetize and erase, y'all. Three dubs and you stay calm. I'm stuck in this room, trying to find my way out. But I don't have a clue in the midst of this room. For nine months of darkness, till I finally break through. Now I'm stuck in this room, trying to find my way back. Back inside of that room, in the midst of this room. My life is of darkness, till I finally break through. I'm stuck in this room, trying to find my way out. In the midst of this room, man For nine months of darkness Till I finally break through Now I'm stuck in this room Trying to find my way back Back inside of that room In the midst of this room, man My life is of darkness Till I finally break through It appears I'm being filmed What's up? Kambada, the shaman, off the noodle like ramen, and I'm going to break down another song. Uh, today we're going to rock with The Womb, which is uh, the title track from The Womb tape, Smoke and Mirrors The Womb. Uh, it's also featured on the new one, the DMT uh, Metagod Trilogy, um, so check that out www.kambadamusic.com if you haven't heard it already it's also on iTunes and everywhere else SoundCloud etc <laughs> and uh, to set this off uh, as far as breaking down the lyrics uh, I'll start off with the first verse let me uh, reference it's the iPad 9 by the way uh, just got it in uh, NASA actually sent this to me they, uh, they have me breaking down some kind of algorithm they're trying to open up a black hole or no big deal uh, it's just the uh, uh, earth depends on this so uh, but uh, in other news uh, we're gonna start off with uh, the first verse is how they give birth to a god it don't start with the dad and the mom first all the stars in the sky are aligned then light from the sun and the moon are combined the dick is the paintbrush the pussies the canvas we paint stuff let the brush stroke let the Paint bus illustrate us. So basically, this goes into the metaphysical and physical creationism process uh, in reference to how humans are created, um, how to give birth to a god. So I look at gods as enlightened human beings. The higher power is beyond all description and name. So how to give birth to a god, it don't start with the dad and the mom. So typically the physical birth process starts with dad and mom fucking, conception, penetration, orgasm, release, sperm, and then it seeds and onward and forward. Uh, but in this case, it doesn't start with the dad and the mom because cosmically, uh, the positioning of the stars, the positioning of the moon, the earth, uh, the weather, um, the mindset of the mom and the dad, the emotional process, the higher you, the universe, everything plays a role in the creation of the conscious energy that is created that is used that is utilized in the birth process so when you get into astrology and astro theology uh, all these play a factor so before 
that nut is even made, you have to take into consideration the day, the time, the month, the weather, the season, where the stars are, all that. I'm just reiterating. So it doesn't start with the dad and the mom. All these things uh, come into play. First, all the stars in the sky are aligned, then light from the sun and the moon are combined. Uh, if you look at nature, it's apparent that the sun is extremely vital in our life, as well as the air and the water and everything else in nature. But the sun, as used in different religions, uh, there's been different allegories and uh, parables and metaphors that have been used in place of the sun, including the Christ, uh, Ra, etc. So the light is the cosmic energy that creates everything is light everything comes from light basically we're light beings inside physical bodies which are just highly dense highly concentrated light that's what molecules are if you break everything down subatomically lower and lower and lower in the quantum level you get pixels basically ones and zeros so we are light um now, also, the moon, which reflects the sun, has a different effect on us at night. So that's why the light from the sun and the moon are combined to create us. Because that, even though we see a difference in the sun and the moon in accordance to what time of day it is, they're both existing at the same time, even though we're on this planet. And we only see one, maybe. It's still there. It doesn't mean the, the moon disappeared. Um... The dick is the paintbrush. So we're getting to the uh, actual physical aspect of it. The dick is the paintbrush. And the pussy's the canvas we paint stuff. So the dick being the paintbrush, meaning if we're in this psychedelic, almost holographic universe, and we're relating everything to light or pixels, then it's safe to say us as humanoids if the phallus is what gives off the actual substance or the paint or the semen that creates or seeds the woman with the baby, then it's safe to say the phallus is the paintbrush and the sperm is the paint. And we're painting on the canvas, which happens to be the vagina or the pussy or the yoni, for lack of better words. Um, let the brush stroke, let the paint bus illustrate us. So we're going into the actual three-step process. The stroke action, the penetration, the actual physical sex, which is the brush stroke. Let the paint bus. So uh, the paint busing is obviously the sperm fluid entering the egg and busting out of you know the orgasm splash, um, the, you know, the happy ending the fireworks, the volcano eruption, you know, the, uh, <laughs> let the paint bus illustrate us. So as the human forms in the womb, it's like a ongoing picture. Like it's uh, unfolding as a beautiful human. And once it entered, when it, once it exits the womb, it develops even further into, you know, grown ups, like grown ups, fucking people like us, big time humans, shit. <laughs> Giants, gods, angelic physical specimens, humanoid 
motherfucking extraterrestrial, extra, extra, extraterrestrials. Where the extraterrestrials, the extraterrestrials are looking for. We just happen to use the same kind of body you do. Mm. Needed to sip a cup of Joe. Um, for the next line, for the second line, <laughs> we're gonna go to the end of the first verse, and uh, I like the line where I say, "So much nigger in my DNA that my cum is black. I could drip a tiny drop of semen in the desert sand and bring a jungle back. Who could fuck with that?" So. This is a deep line. It's much shorter than the line I uh, explained before. But I said, so much nigger in my DNA that my cum is black. Now, generally, popularly, sperm, cum, you know, hey, these words have all been scandalized. So if they make you cringe, get over yourself, man. This is the human body. It's beautiful. So sperm or cum is generally a whiter or lighter hue. Depending on your body health, who knows, it might be clear and it might be some other color. But typically, it's portrayed as a white fluid. But there's so much nigger in me, there's so much color, there's so much melanin, even though it might not show through my skin tone, which is a, a beautiful gold. Um, there's so much nigger in my DNA that that white fluid for me is a concentrated black. I'm giving you pure, triple black, cosmic dark matter that's how that's how potent this sperm is right and it's so potent that i with one tiny drop of this semen i gotta be careful with it because if i let this go a one tiny drop of this this highly concentrated semen in the desert sand can bring an entire jungle back now if you go into the comedic wisdom and antiquity before egypt was this sand covered in other parts of Africa too, some science and some scholars and, 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 and archaeologists or whatever they're called have discovered that these lands weren't always barren like this. Why would they create these beautiful monuments in a dead land? Something happened here. Either there was a horrific weather happening or you know some kind of natural disaster or there was an atomic blast of some sorts which some people believe that these people had the kind of technology, whether it be the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant or some kind of other nuclear force, or maybe it was some kind of just mind power that created a desert, or maybe it was purposely done and covered up. Maybe somebody blew it all up because they didn't want the secrets out. Whatever the reason, it's desert now. So with this... And this is hyperbole, of course. I'm talking from the from the God mind, always. I'm talking from the fourth person perspective. I'm talking from the higher part of me. And it, and even though it's 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 an analogy almost, it is true. We do hold this power within us, in our sperm. We have with one with one man's sperm you can create a million human beings, you know, and, and that's power. So when I drop that semen in that desert sand, I could bring a jungle back. Who could fuck with that? So that who could fuck with that, even though it's just like a separate, oh, who could fuck with that? It's also in relation to what I'm saying. Fucking is generally what you do to a hoe or a thot, you know, a slut, boom, I'm gonna fuck this bitch, you know. But who could fuck with such power? You know what I mean? When you know you hold the kind of power that can 
resurrect the jungle from desert sand. I'm not fucking. I'm creating. Um, um, this is this is this is God alchemy. Two humans using that friction, the oscillation of that penetration, is a lot deeper than just fucking. Yeah, I mean, I say it all the time. Fuck is an awesome word for whatever reason, you know. But uh, this is this is some this is some deep science. That the 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 sex act, the human sex act is the most powerful act on earth. From our discoveries, there's nothing more powerful or more amazing than a humanoid. I can't just say humans because who knows? The humanoid, what we see as humans in this third dimensional reality, is it's it's the most amazing thing. And with this sex act that any human can do, you can create them. No computer can do it, no science lab can do it, no AI can do it. We can do it with a simple nut nine months in the womb. That's the second that's the second bar and uh that's it for that one. So, smoke, bitch. For me, this was the revelation. I didn't get into this business by being an airhead or a, or a screwball. My attitude was always, if it's real, it can take the pressure. You know, you don't have to pussyfoot around the real thing. If they're telling you, you know, oh, you must lower your voice and avert your gaze or this and that, then you're probably in the presence of crap. Because the real thing is real. It doesn't demand that you, you adjust your opinion to suit it. It's real. That means it is preeminent. That means it sets the agenda. And I studied yoga, I wandered around in the East, I was fast shuffled by beady-eyed little men in dozies. I know the whole spiritual supermarket and rigmarole, and, and I, I find nothing there to interest me on the level of, you know, five grams of psilocybin mushrooms in silent darkness. I mean, that's where the pedal meets the metal. That's where the rubber meets the road. And the inspiration for me to get up and talk to an audience like this simply comes from the fact that I cannot believe that this could be kept under wraps the way it has. I mean, I kidded with you earlier that they would make sex illegal if they could. Well, they can't, so it isn't. But the psychedelic experience is as central to understanding your humanness as having sex, or having a child, or having responsibilities, or, or having hopes and dreams, and yet it is illegal. We are somehow told we are infantilized. We're told, you know, you can wander around within the sanctioned playpen of ordinary consciousness, and we have some intoxicants over here if you want to mess yourself up. We've got some scotch here and some tobacco and red meat and some sugar and a little TV and so forth and so on. Uh, but, but these boundary-dissolving uh, hallucinogens that give you a sense of unity with your fellow man and nature are somehow forbidden. This is 
an outrage. It's a sign of cultural immaturity, and the fact that we tolerate it is a sign that we are、uh, living in a society as oppressed as any society in the past. My thing is not about my opinion or what I saw in Africa or anything like that. This is get it straight. This is about an experience. Not my experience, your experience. It's about an experience which you have, like getting laid or like going to Africa. You must do the experience. Otherwise, it, it's just whistling past the graveyard. And we're not talking about something like being born again or meeting the flying saucers or something like that, where good works and prayer are the method. No, if you take a sufficient dose of an active compound, it will deliver itself to you on the money. If it doesn't work, take more. Nobody is in a position to dismiss this. Just because it didn't work for them on one or two tries, this is an art. It's an art. It's something you coax into existence. I mean, you have to learn to make love. You have to learn to speak English. Anything worth doing is an art that is acquired. This is part of our birthright. Perhaps the most important part of our birthright. These substances will deliver. It is the confoundment of, of psychology and science generally, and that's why it's so touchy for cultural institutions. But you are not a cultural institution. You are a free and independent human being, and these things have your name written on them in big gold letters.、Uh, I think that we are caged by our cultural programming, in, and that this is the most powerful imprisoning factor in our lives. That if we could train ourselves simply to remember our dreams. Psychedelics would become obsolete if we could train ourselves simply to pay attention to our ordinary states of consciousness as we live through our days and nights.、Uh, culture is a mass hallucination, and when you step outside the mass hallucination, you see it for what it is、uh, worth. I don't do drugs. I want to thank management for offering, <clears throat> but I said no. And when I say no, it means how much and can I get some more? No, it means no. I mean that unless you're giving it away. <clears throat> no, it means no. And can I also get some loot to come down later? No, it means seriously. It means no. Is the bar open? Oh, okay. No, it means. Let's see how I. No, I used to do drugs. I had no luck with drugs, man. One time, me and three friends dropped acid, drove around in my dad's car. He has one of those talking cars. We're tripping, and the car goes, "The door is ajar." <laughs> We pulled over and thought about that for 12 hours, man. Shit, how can a door be ajar? Shit! Why would they put a jar on a car? Oh shit! The freeway's melting. Put it in the jar. This this went on for hours. 
but if it's a jar. <laughs> but what kind of car? <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. Got pulled over tripping once. Woo! There's a dream come true. I'll match that to any drunk story you got. Pulled over tripping. Jesus. Cop is tapping on this window. We're staring at him in this mirror over here. How tall are you? Big one and a little one. Twins. Oh, shit. Be cool. drugs. I got nothing against drugs. I got nothing against drugs. I think it's a personal choice. Just like alcohol, just like cigarettes. As long as that personal choice does not infringe upon the freedoms of another person's personal choice. Really, that's the end of the story. That's called logic. It'll help you. George Bush says we are losing the war on drugs. Well, you know what that implies? There's a war going on and people on drugs are winning it. Ah! Well, what does that tell you about drugs? Some smart, creative motherfuckers on that side. They're winning a war and they're fucked up. You never see positive drug stories on the news, do you? Isn't that weird? Since most of the experiences I've had on drugs were real fucking positive. Uh, who are these morons they're finding? That's what I want to know. I used to want to call the news. Come over to our house. Watch Tommy. He's a pig. Film him. He's been doing that for hours. He's killing us. You getting all that? You know what I mean? Always that same LSD story. You've all seen it. Young man on acid thought he could fly, jumped out of a building. What a tragedy. What a dick. Fuck him. He's an idiot. If he thought he could fly, why didn't he take off in the ground first? Check it out. You don't see ducks lined up to catch elevators to fly south. They fly from the ground, you moron. Quit ruining for everybody. He's a moron. He's dead. Good. We lost a moron. Fucking celebrate. Wow, I just felt the world get lighter. We lost a moron. Put on the Hammer album. I'm ready to dance. We lost a moron. I don't mean to sound cold or cruel or vicious, but I am, so that's the way it comes out. Professional help is being sought. How about a positive LSD story? Wouldn't that be newsworthy just once to base your decision on information rather than scare tactics and superstitions and lies? I think it would be newsworthy. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. 
There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. You've been fantastic, and I hope you enjoyed it. There is a point. Is there a point to all this? Let's find a point. Is there a point to my act? I would say there is. I have to. <laughs> the world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly colored, and it's very loud. And it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time, and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered, and they come back to us, and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because... This is just a ride, and we kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok? But it doesn't matter because... It's just a ride. And we can change it anytime we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. A choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door, buy guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all that money we spend on weapons and defense each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing, and educating the poor of the world, which it would many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever in peace. Thank you very much. You've been great. I hope you enjoy it. talking about conscience and the definitive knowledge between the difference between right and wrong. We really covered this extensively on the section uh, where we covered natural law as what needs to be the ultimate foundation for enacting any solution in the world. You know, until we understand that knowledge, we really shouldn't be doing many actions at all. We should really be res reserving our action until we really understand that. That's why natural law really needs to be taught to young people, you know, from as early as they can start comprehending language. So that when they do start taking actions regarding other people in the world, uh, in relationship to other people in the world, their actions will be in harmony with natural law. And that's the problem. We're not teaching natural law to anyone because we don't know it ourselves as a society. It hasn't been taught to us, and therefore the, the uh, propagation of ignorance goes down generation to generation. So uh, there's many slides. There's four, three slides here from the natural law section as a brief review. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the word right is synonymous with correct because they are based in truth. Right means both moral and correct because it's based in truth and natural law. If something is correct, it's based in truth. If something is moral, it's based in natural law and it's based in truth and it's correct. It's right. 
actions that are based in right do not result in harm to other sentient beings. Wrong, contrasted with right, is incorrect. It is immoral. That's why we use it for both meaning both incorrect, you're, you're wrong about that, you're, you gave the wrong answer, and immoral. We follow what is not true, it leads us to immoral behavior. Incorrect, not based in truth. Immoral, not based in natural law. That's what wrong is. And the reason that it's wrong is because actions that are based in it result in harm to other sentient beings. And that's common sense. You know when suffering is being caused to another person. And if there's no suffering being caused to another living being that has provable cause, provable result of harm that has been done to them, then there's no wrong action that has been done. And someone has a right to take that action. You know, someone brought up the other day that, okay, the, uh, the, uh, Islamic law that prevents women from showing their face. Could that be in harmony with natural law? Absolutely not. It's an, it's an impossibility for that to be in harmony with natural law. Is it a right or not for a woman to show her face to someone else in public? Of course it is a right. Why is that a universal right? It doesn't matter what a religion says about it. It doesn't matter what a government says about it. It doesn't matter what any individual says about it. At all times, all places in the universe, you are allowed to bear your face in public. Why is it a right? Because you're not harming someone else as a result of that behavior. So let's look at smoking marijuana for an example. Is that a right or is it not a right? It is universally, 100%, unequivocally, at all times and places in the entire universe, a right. Why? Well, one, because you're doing it to you. Shoving a joint in someone else's mouth, lighting it, and forcing them, you know, holding your, your fingers over their nose and your hand over their mouth until they're forced to take a breath is not a right. Because you're doing it to someone else that may not want that. So you're coercing their will, their free will. Whenever there's coercion of free will involved, it's not a right. Because harm is being done. The person is saying no, and you're refusing to accept their refusal. Which, this is what the show next week is going to be about entirely. The whole show on apophysis and the power of the word no. And I'm going to go into some allegories again through popular fiction of the usage of the word no. I'm going to look at three particular modern movies that th the most powerful word in the universe is explained in allegorical fashion. The word no, which we need to start falling in love with and understand apophysis, which I'm going to touch on at the end here today. But this is the difference between right and wrong. You're allowed to smoke marijuana under natural law because you're doing it to you. You are taking something into your body. That's your property. You own this vehicle while your consciousness inhabits it in this realm. Someone else doesn't own your body, therefore they're not allowed to tell you what you're allowed to do with your body via putting something into it. It doesn't matter what justifications or reasons they come up with. 
Now, that means you're responsible for what you do with your body after you ingest something. You're not absolved of personal responsibility. Do you want to take some substance and then do something that is then subsequently, subsequently do something that is immoral? You need to be held accountable for the action. It doesn't matter that, that you took something. You made the decision to take something that affected your judgment. And then you did the action, so you're accountable for it under natural law. So understand what natural law is. This is slide number 15. A living being must be harmed or defrauded in order for a violation of natural law rights to have taken place. And rights that do not exist for an individual can never be granted by man's law to any other individual or any group of individuals. You can't make up a right that other people don't have and say, well, now this group of people has that right. And this is what we think we can do with government and police and militaries, etc. And all kinds of bureaucratic institutions, rights that other people do not have. And they'll claim this nonsensical, so, non-existent social contract bunk as a result, uh, you know, to justify their immoral behaviors. And there is no such thing. doesn't exist. There is no such thing as a social contract. There's individuals either choosing to live in harmony with natural law with each other or refusing to live in harmony with natural law. And they're therefore creating chaos instead of order. So we need to know what right is versus what wrong action is. And the best way to know what right is is through the negative and I keep emphasizing this over and over again. Stop accepting this new age bunk of never look at the negative or don't try to define things in the negative sense. That's the best way to define what a right is, is to take a look, a good, hardcore look and an honest appraisal of what is wrong. What is a wrong is what you need to truly understand to understand what a right is. Because a right is anything which remains if there is no wrongdoing, which is a harm to another person through your action. So if I sit here and drink a beer, that would have been illegal in 1920, even though I was harming no one. And now suddenly, magically today, that's legal. They can make something from immoral to moral or from moral to immoral at the stroke of a pen. Yeah, you didn't know how that's how, how it works. Morality and immorality have nothing to do with nature's laws. It has to do with the whims of a dictator who writes something down in a little book and now says, well, that's now immoral. Anybody that I catch doing it, is, it can be punished by whatever dictates I happen to uh, also pen down that they will be punished according to. It was moral to drink a beer in, in 1920 after prohibition was passed, just like it is moral to do it now. Why? because I'm putting it into my body. Do I have a right to hold someone down who says that they don't want to drink any alcohol and pour a beer down their throat? No, I do not and never will. Because that's someone else's vehicle for expression, not mine. It's all about ownership and the understanding of self-ownership. And look, we've covered this extensively in the section on natural law, which I encourage everybody to go back in the podcast and listen to it again. Even if you heard it once, for those who haven't heard it, you need to go and listen to that material. This is just a quick review. I believe it was in the 70s up through the 80s is where I covered, uh, not where the, the 60s up through the, into the 70s, something like that in the podcast section.
Natural law holds true regardless of population. You know, people think, oh, that works when there's only a few people in the world, but oh, when we have a big population, no, we can't respect these rights or these rights. We have to curtail those rights. Natural law holds true regardless of how many people. And when in doubt whether an act is in harm with natural law, visualize the scenario with only two people. And if it's right, then it's right, it's wrong, it's wrong to the fault of seven billion. We're going to talk about the apophatic inquiry, the apophatic nature of truth next week when it comes to saying no to this control system. Quite simply, a statist is somebody who believes in having a state. Basically, anybody who wants government. Government is the exercise of authority over a people or place. And that is basically the right to rule. It's not just the ability to control other people, because most people have that in one way or another. It's the right. It's the idea that certain people, it's legitimate for them to forcibly control others. Belief in government is a purely faith-based, indoctrinated belief. It doesn't actually make any sense in practical terms or in evidence or in logic. For years, I thought it was a really good analogy to compare government to religion. And only a few years ago did I realize it's not an analogy. It is a religion in every way. It has a superhuman deity, government. It has rights that mortals don't. It isn't restricted by the rules that apply to mortals. It issues commands, and if you disobey, you're a sinner, and you deserve to be punished. The faithful, the true believers, they have great faith in these bizarre rituals, elections and legislation and appointments, and they dress up, and then they say, ta-da, now I represent government. I know I just look like a person. But I don't just have the rights of a person because I represent the magical deity called government. And so I'm allowed to demand your money and boss you around and hurt you if you disobey me. I'm acting on behalf of government. And it has commandments called laws. And these laws aren't just the threats of humans. They are decrees from something superhuman. And so all you good people out there should bow to this deity. And if you want the world fixed, this is what you pray to. And we give you certain rituals of, of how to pray to it and when you're supposed to pray to it and pray to the God to make the world what you wish it was and to save you from all the uncertainties of reality. The doctrine people are taught is just patently absurd. And a bunch of examples of that are like consent of the governed. There isn't such thing. If it's consent, it's voluntary. If it's being governed, it's not. The actual given excuse is, we have the right to rule you because you decided we did, even if you didn't vote for us, and even if you oppose everything we do to you. And, well, they represent us. Okay, they represent us by doing a lot of things that we don't have the right to do. And they represent us by bossing us around and taking our money. Like, I bet if I went to my neighbor and bossed him around and took his money and said, I'm representing you, he would say, what? What a stupid thing to say. To me, the most insane is, we are the government, which you hear everywhere. And I ask somebody, wait, do you really not notice that there's a group of people over there, they issue threats, and they call them laws, and they issue demands for money, and they call it taxes. And if you disobey, they send men with guns to hurt you. Now, are you really incapable of distinguishing between yourself 
and them. One of the, the biggest giveaways that the belief in government is a complete blind faith religious belief is the way people respond. One very easy line of questioning is, can you give somebody else a right that you don't have? And everybody says, well, no, of course not. Well, how about you and your buddy? Can the two of you give someone else a right that neither of you had? Well, no. And it only takes a couple more questions to get to, well, how did Congress get rights that you don't have? They get emotional and they get angry or they get defensive or they run away. They didn't come to this belief through reasoning and evidence and logic. They came there by having a blind faith belief smashed into their heads starting before they could even talk. It's just something they were taught to believe, that there's this thing called authority and that it's allowed to do things that human beings aren't and that people have an obligation to obey it to the point where, yeah, it's some people, they weren't gods or anything, some people wrote down a thing on paper and then they called it legislation and they did certain rituals and then people go around saying, well, this is law. Most people literally feel physical discomfort and fear at the thought of disobeying anyone in authority. Most people can't say, no, I'm not going to do that because it goes against their years and years of, of programming and indoctrination that trains them to think, if you do as you're told, you're good. If you don't, you're bad. And that's the message of school. And that message gets pounded in people's heads. Students are taught over and over and over and over again every stinking day they're in school that the measure of your virtue is how well you obey authority. The whole approval-disapproval thing. The one thing you learn in school is if you do as you're told, you get approval and reward. And if you don't do as you're told, you get disdain and condemnation. They'll make sure everybody knows you're a bad person because you didn't do as you were told. The belief in authority leads everybody, good people, bad people, everything in between, to advocate and do things they wouldn't otherwise do, bad things they wouldn't otherwise do, including cops, because the, the cops really and truly believe that they have the right to do things that I don't have the right to do and you don't have the right to do. The only reason most of them do what they do is because they believe in authority and they really believe that legislation gives them an exemption from morality. So that when they do something and someone says, hey, what you're doing is bad. Hey, I don't make the law. I just enforce it. I'm not responsible for my actions. I'm just a tool of some weird thing somewhere else called government. You can't blame me for what I am personally doing because I'm not really doing it. As loony as that is, that's what most of them will say. Whenever somebody says, hey, what you're doing is wrong, it's not okay to, you know, it's not okay to lock people up for smoking marijuana, it's not okay, you know, all the ways in which, quote unquote, law enforcement initiates violence against nonviolent people. And if you bring that up to them, they literally talk as if they didn't do it. The only reason they do that is because they were taught the lie of authority and government and law along with everyone else, and then they were told, you're just a tool of the thing called law, and that makes it so you have rights that other people don't have. So you don't have to feel bad about physically assaulting nonviolent people, because the law says it's okay. It really is just permission to ignore your conscience by saying you have rights that other people don't. You know, you don't have the right to tell other people what habit to have on your own. You don't have the right to go and extort people on your own. But once you're law enforcement, then not only is it okay, it's noble and, and great to go around robbing people and bossing them around. That is the biggest danger 
of the belief in authority. It tricks good people into condoning or doing really nasty, horrible, violent things because they think, well, this is okay if government and authority does it. They are raised by their parents, by the school, by the government, by the culture, by all the authoritarian messages built into everything to think that obedience is a virtue. And when you raise the culture to think that, and you get one nasty psycho at the top who says, hey, go do bad stuff, people say, well, I have to follow orders. I have to obey the law. I have to do as I'm told because that's a virtue. And then good people march off and do evil stuff. I'm not scared of the Maos and the Stalins and the Hitlers. I'm scared of the thousands or millions of people that hallucinate them to be authority and so do their bidding and pay for their empires and carry out their orders. I don't care if there's one loony with a stupid mustache, he is not a threat if the people do not believe in authority. Some people assume that, well, you must trust everybody if you don't want government. That's not at all true. I don't nearly trust everybody, but if I don't trust people to run their own lives, why on earth would I trust them to be in a position of power where they can forcibly run other people's lives? Really what it boils down to is saying, I don't trust people. People are untrustworthy and unpredictable. So my solution is to take some of those people, some of the most untrustworthy around, give them permission to violently control us all. And that will protect us from the untrustworthiness of mankind. Okay, you're so scared of, of the average man out there and so thankful for government. Let me ask you, who has taken more of your money under threat of force? Private people threatening you or agents of authority threatening you? How many murders are committed by private people compared to how many are committed by people acting on behalf of authority? It's not even close. The number of murders committed in the name of law enforcement and government and authority completely dwarfs private murder. Even governments killing the people of other countries is small compared to them killing their own people. In the last 100 years, over 270 million human beings killed by their own governments, not counting war. That first step is always the hardest, to get someone to dare to set aside his blind faith long enough to think about things, to back up enough to say, maybe government isn't even legitimate at all. It takes a lot for people indoctrinated into the faith to dare to think of those literally blasphemous ideas that, no, those people in Washington don't have the right to rule. Their threats aren't laws, they're just threats. Their demands aren't taxes, it's just extortion. And that really feels like heresy, because it is. It is heresy against the God called government. I now have a huge amount of hope, because I see an acceleration of the number of people who dare to think about these things, and now the number of people able to have this conversation is just hugely exploding. And they're still a minority. But that exponential curve, I don't think it's stopping. I really think the cult of statism is as good as dead. Ultimately, I think the belief in government is doomed for the exact same reasons that the belief in a flat earth was doomed. There's too many people pointing out the utter inherent insanity in the belief, and that's just not going to go away. Nobody who understands self-ownership and understands why authority is inherently bogus wakes up the next day and say, suddenly, you know, I think I should do whatever the politicians say. 
I think really humanity is just beginning to wake up to what it's supposed to be. Humanity wasn't meant to be a domesticated species owned by a ruling class. Every human being owns himself, is in charge of his own life. I'd like to see actual rational moral civilization in my lifetime, but we are going to get there. Sooner or later, we are totally going to get there. The lie will never outlive the truth forever. Special thanks to Nathan Fraser over at Podcast Blastoff. He's one of the most genuinely nice people I've met, and he's gone above and beyond to help me set up everything for the podcast. I'd also like to bring everyone's attention to my friend Lee from the UK's website, wakinglifemovement.com. Quite synchronistically, he messaged me on Instagram talking about how he was building his website the very moment I was creating the logo for this podcast. So you can definitely expect to see us collaborating in the future. I can't begin to express how much love I have for everyone that I'll be featuring on this podcast, but this first episode in particular, I tried to amalgamate all the audio clips most integral in helping shape my current perspective on life. Much love to Cambada for allowing me to feature the womb and accompanying lyrical analysis. Make sure to check out his website, cambadamusic.com. Also, his Instagram and Twitter at Cambada Music also featured a couple segments off Mark Passio's podcast, What on Earth is Happening? Please check out all that information at whatonearthishappening.com. I'm also going to be going to a conference that he started, the Free Your Mind Conference. Free Your Mind 4 will probably be the first time that I've ever been surrounded by so many like minds that... I bought a special SD card so that I can try to capture almost every conversation I'm a part of. I have about 825 hours of space, so there will definitely be content from the conference on this podcast for months to come. I also featured the YouTube video, Statism, The Most Dangerous Religion, which is a mashup of various Larkin Rose talks. There was a segment from Waking Life, the movie that inspired the podcast and helped set me on this course in my life. I have also included the works of three souls who have crossed beyond the veil. Musician Idea, author and lecturer Terrence McKenna, and comedian Bill Hicks. These were some of the most brilliant and inspiring minds. And then finally, there's Richard Grove, creator of the 9-11 Synchronicity podcast, the Peace Revolution podcast, and Tragedy and Hope Media Productions, as well as a copious amount of other material. His art is the main inspiration for this podcast. And in fact, episode 6 of the Peace Revolution podcast is probably one of the single most eye-opening things that I have ever heard in my entire life. And I certainly can't forget everyone who's encouraged and supported me all along this way, like... I love you all so much. Thank you for everything. Make sure you go to wakinglife.co and follow the Instagram at dream3is3destiny3 and like the Facebook page Waking Life Podcast. I wish nothing but infinite love and ascension for every soul out there. You've been coding willed thoughts with Cody Wilcox on the Waking Life Podcast. Take care. the world is made of, you can 
make of it whatever you wish. My obsessive, eclectic perspective mixed with an articulate, philosophic expression based on research in the halls of the Akashic Records makes me so objective you think my ideas are subjective or pretentious without the knowledge of the trivium for your mental defenses. The quadrivium relates number to your senses so you can see the Pythagorean theorem in its existence. Three laws of learning to guide you through four essential subjects while using five senses equates to the first of Pythagoras' triplets. Proof you should be well versed in arithmetic and geometry. You Music and cosmology round out the seven liberal arts, but to see you'll need the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of the first three. Through grammar, logic, and rhetoric, I can spot thoughts that are phantasmagoric and seek truths that are occulted through lies that are universally categoric. Universities deceive youths for a century, this shit is abhorrent. I see psilocybin, savory, sweet, soft symphonies, and telepathically torrent, which is to say when I meditate, tripping balls, synesthesia becomes rationally important. Informing the performer the world's not a stage, this isn't a performance. There's a universe in our minds barely explored, so go explore it! The universe is inside our heads, our head is outside the universe. It's gotta be inside my head or I wouldn't be aware of it. I've got a model of it inside my head. Now inside that model of the studio is a model of me. And on top of the model of me is a model of my head. But that's not my real head. My real head contains the studio and my body and this model of the head. And the same with the whole universe. The, the whole universe is a model contained in my head, which contains a model of my head. So I've got two heads, the head outside the universe and the head inside the universe.